0: Hi, my name's Clayton, and you're listening to the Isaiah 43 Podcast, where we explore how God has formed us, redeemed us, and how He calls us today. Each week, we will journey through Scripture to understand all that God has done and what exactly His call is for our lives today. This is week 42, an apologetics week, where we combat the world's lies with God's truth. mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. In 1938, Joe, Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster introduced Superman on the iconic pages of Action Comics number 1. Immediately, Superman was a massive hit. Superman quickly became a household name with radio programs, movies, and a legendary Fleischer cartoon. It was in the 1942 episode of the radio show that introduced Superman's catchphrase that we just heard, truth, justice, and the American way. George Reeves' portrayal of Superman in the Adventures of Superman TV series, which ran from 1952 to 1958, opened each episode with what we just heard. So naturally, people born and raised in the 1950s and 60s had this ingrained in their memories. This is what Superman stood for. Again, we see Christopher Reeves use the same tagline in the Superman films from the 1970s and 80s. Nothing changed. Then, in 2021, DC Comics, the publisher of Superman Comics and Material, changed this tagline to Truth, Justice, and A Better Tomorrow. Jim Lee, the chief creative officer for DC Comics, said that this change was to reflect better the times and stories they were telling. A lot of fans were not happy. For, this sake of the, for the sake of this episode, however, I will re- be referring to the 2021 catchphrase. But I'm not here today to give you my opinions on this change to the catchphrase, or to even give you a history lesson on Superman. I'm here to talk to you about the Bible, about Christ, and His saving grace. So then, why do I mention Superman? Well, you see, I've been thinking a lot about this catchphrase, and how it relates to the world that we live in. Let's stop for a moment and think about the world we live in. Bear with me for a moment. The world around us tells us that there is no truth. There is no justice. There is not a better tomorrow coming. Society tells us that the truth is relative, which is different for everybody. There is no objective truth, which, according to the world, means that there is no truth that is above personal thoughts, feelings, and opinions. There is nothing above our thoughts. The world tells us that there is no justice, and when there is justice in the world, we can see that it is corrupt. And so if all this is true, no pun intended, then there is no hope for a better tomorrow. That means we can eat, drink, and engage in all sorts of evil, sin, and iniquity because tomorrow doesn't matter. We must stop and ask ourselves a simple question. What if there is truth, justice, and hope for a better tomorrow? Where would we find that? Well, if you're listening to the show, then I think you know where we can. Clearly the Bible tells us that these are real things. Scripture tells us that there is an objective truth, and justice, and hope. The Bible defines these things very clearly. So maybe, after all, the Bible stands for truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. But before we jump into that, we need to dive into prayer. So, let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. You have done wonderful things for us, O God, and we want to take the time right now to reflect upon those things, Lord We want to thank you for the wonderful things that you have worked out throughout all of our lives. Father, the the people you've brought into our lives, the things you've brought into our lives, and the blessings that you continue to bestow upon us, Father. And when we think upon what we should be thankful for, Lord, let us always remember that we should be thankful that you sent your only son to die for us so that we can be reconciled with you, Lord. That should be on the forefront of our mind. Let us focus on that. In this episode today, Father, I pray that you will be with me as I speak your word. And I pray that it will touch those who are listening to it wherever they may be, Father God. And I pray that we will see through today's episode that the world has lied to us and that the only truth, justice, and hope we have for our lives, Lord, are found deeply rooted in your scriptures and in who you are. And Father, I pray you will be with us, and you will lead us, and you will guide us in all things for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, let's start from the beginning. What does truth mean according to the Bible? We can search all through Scripture, and we will find it in a multitude of places. I want us to be very clear and concise here, so let's start with Isaiah 65, verse 16. As usual, we'll be reading from the ESV. Or English Standard Version. Again, Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16. So that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth, and he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. Notice there how God is described, not once, but twice. He is defined as the God of truth. There is no deceit in God. Truth is who God is, it is one of his characteristics. John MacArthur once said quote, Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. Even more to the point, truth is the self expression of God. That is the biblical meaning of truth, because the definition of truth flows from God. Truth is theological. Truth is also ontological, which is a fancy way of saying it is the way things really are. Reality is what it is because God declared it so and made it so. Therefore, God is the author, source, determiner, governor, arbiter, ultimate standard, and the final judge of all truth. Quote. So then, if truth is consistent with the very being of God, and it is a self-expression of who he is— then what does that say about Jesus, who is God incarnate? Well, let's examine that. For this, we'll skip over to the Gospel according to John. So John chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was, nothing any, was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Again, did you notice how many times that truth was mentioned? Jesus is the light of the world, but the true light. Verse 17 tells us that the truth came through and was and is Jesus. And our Lord did not have any second guesses about this. He knew that. Look at John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said it clearly. He is the truth. He wasn't using metaphors or poetic language. He meant truth. The Greek word there is atheia. I hope I said that right. Which means sincerely divine truth revealed to man corresponding to reality. Christ wasn't playing around. Again, MacArthur says, quote, When Jesus said of himself, I am the truth, he was thereby making a profound claim about his own deity. He was also making it clear that all truth must ultimately be defined in terms of God and his eternal glory. After all, Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. He is truth incarnate, the perfect expression of God and therefore the absolute embodiment of all that is true. End quote. Jesus makes something else clear. He is the truth, yes, but also so is God's word. He makes it clear that Scripture is not just a little bit of truth or a nugget of truth or just a book of good sayings. Jesus teaches us that Scripture is pure, unchangeable, and does not contradict itself because that's what truth is. Let's read John chapter 10, verse 35. Christ says, If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken... This is not the only time Jesus says this. He says that God's word is truth another time. In his prayer to the Father, Jesus prays in John chapter 17, verses 17 through 19. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they, may, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, I think we have spent enough time on illustrating what truth is according to the Bible. So, what about justice? What does the Bible have to say about justice? Well, we see that justice is another characteristic of who God is. He is pure, righteous, true justice. Let's look back at the Old Testament for a moment, particularly in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 3 through 4. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Isaiah also writes about God's justice and how it is not influenced by anyone or anything. God's justice was not taught to him because it is simply who he is. Let's read about that. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 13 through 14. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? We also see that justice is something that God loves. True justice brings glory to God. When wrongs are righted, God is given the honor and glory from that. But again, not justice as the world calls it, because that justice can be corrupted, bought, or changed. More on that in a moment, but first, let's read that even the psalmist attests to God's love for justice as we read in Psalm chapter 33, verse 5. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Now God's justice is pure. It's not tainted. It cannot be changed just like truth cannot be changed. God is not playing favorites either because that's not justice. Remember the statue of Lady Justice? She's blindfolded. That is an allegorical personification of justice. Justice shows no impartiality. It does not matter who you are, what you look like, or anything. Justice is justice, plain and simple. Both the Old and New Testament confirms that this is God's view of justice. At first, Let's look at the Old Testament again as we read Second Chronicles, chapter 19, verse 7. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. And now let's see what the Apostle Paul wrote on God's justice in Romans, chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And now we get to the Bible's definition of a better tomorrow. Here's something that I want to say up front. The Bible does not promise that every day will be easy. It does not promise that we will go through life without troubles. In fact, it tells us the opposite. Jesus tells us that in this life, we will have many troubles. He tells us we will be persecuted, ridiculed, and mocked for following him. That doesn't mean there isn't hope for a better tomorrow. The Bible tells us that our view of a better tomorrow is only because God is with us. It's like the old hymn goes, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. Now, I'm sorry I didn't sing that. It would have sounded better, but I have not been blessed with a good singing voice, so unfortunately, that's the best I can do. But my singing is not the point. The point is that we can have a better tomorrow because we know who holds tomorrow in His hands. So let's see what our Lord has to say about tomorrow in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25-34. through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Paul echoes this same thing in the epistle to the Philippians. While these verses that we are about to read have great significance to me, I have to admit that I sometimes forget to heed their command as I should. So I hope by reading them here with you today, it'll be a good reminder for the both of us. So let's read Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As if that is not enough, God tells us the same thing in the Old Testament. In the book of Jeremiah, God tells the nation of Israel that he has a divine plan for them and for their benefit. He tells us this exact same thing after all these thousands of years. So, Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Isaiah reveals to us the same thing. God is consistent, and he never contradicts. Let's read what Isaiah spoke from the Lord now in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Scripture again and again and again affirms that God will make a way for a better tomorrow. He will pave the way for you to go. Let's read this next passage together as we turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Now, there is one thing that I want to point out about all of these verses relating to a better tomorrow. You see, that won't happen if we don't turn to God and seek His kingdom. Remember what Jesus said back in the readings we had from the book of Matthew? But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You must first seek the kingdom. You must first seek God. Then he will hear you and work out all things for those who love him. Again, that doesn't mean that every day will be perfect. That's simply just not the case. But if God is for us, then who can stand against us? No one. Not even men of still, who are faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, and able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Let's both remember that. And until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless.